Grace and peace. Y'all doing all right this morning? Amen. Well, I am uh, grateful for the privilege of being here with you this morning, um, in part because Durham is a, a, a bit of a special place for me. Uh, so about 18 years ago, um, my wife and I met. I was uh, a student at Shaw University in Raleigh, and we ended up in our very first apartment on Austin Ave here in Durham. And I can tell you, there was nothing like that time of growing in faith in Jesus living on Austin Ave at the time. There's something sanctifying about that. I wanted to be sure, though, just to, to really express my gratitude, though, for your pastor, Brother Daniel Mason, and for Chris Cooper, my brother at um, RUF at North Carolina Central. When we were uh, just really just kind of thinking and dreaming about the reality of what RUF at Winston-Salem State would look like, we, we, we connected with Daniel and Chris and came down to Durham. And uh, we, we began to just walk Central's campus and just to talk about the reality of ministry to, to students at a historically black college. And, and they prayed with us. And thankfully, I can say that this fall, we're heading into year three of RUF at Winston-Salem State. Um, because of the fruitfulness and the prayers of God's people being uh, connected together. But let's pray, and we're going to jump right into God's word. Father, we thank you that even in a world that seems so immersed in chaos, that we can turn to you. For what a friend we have in Jesus all of our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer, and oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not take everything to God in prayer. And have we trials and temptations, and is there trouble anywhere, and we should not be discouraged, but take it to God in prayer. Now, Father, I pray with a heart of humility that you would use me to preach your gospel with boldness and with clarity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking this morning at a passage of scripture from Luke 4, verses 14 down to verse 30. Luke 4, verse 14 down to verse 30. And the scripture reads, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. And what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three days, three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is God's word. We're looking at Luke's gospel, and though the gospels are works that we mostly consider to have been written pretty anonymously, uh, one of the reasons this isn't such a big deal for us is because the original audiences were likely very familiar with the author. Uh, They were members of their churches or broader Christian circles. Uh, Luke's gospel, though, is a really great example of this. Um, we see uh, that it's the first in a series of books. And so long before Harry Potter and the Hunger Games, uh, Luke was writing a collection of books that shapes us in some really unique ways. Uh, Luke is a physician. And that's probably a a unique detail that shapes a lot of his ideas. Uh, The Gospels collectively are a story that only uh, the author or finisher of life could write. And Luke, the author of this particular gospel, um, from the very first verse of the book, is clear in recording historical truth. This is a distinct narrative of the person and work of Jesus. And he establishes this truth by stating that these events were accomplished among us as Jesus is in himself entering the story of humanity. And so Luke records these details from the eyewitnesses and ministers of his day, writing ultimately to this guy named Theophilus. This is one of two editions. The first is the gospel that tells the story of Jesus, and then the book of Acts, which reveals the early church's work to continue the mission of Jesus as a global account of good news of the one who had come to save us. In verse 14, though, we read, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And so Jesus has had this wilderness experience, and he returns to to begin the work of ministry, and he's headed to his hometown. The text says, though, that he returned in the power of the Spirit. So just as a heads up, uh, ministry without an active work of the Spirit is futile. Yet Jesus shows us in Matthew 7, 22, that this is still a reality for some people, though. 
Know, though, that Jesus in John 14 prays for you and I that we would have this same spirit within us. Acts 1 and 8 tells us that we are to be empowered by that same Holy Spirit. It says, though, that there was a report that went out about him. So the people know that Jesus is coming. And so long before anyone was TikTok famous or popping on the gram, uh, Jesus was an influencer. And for Jesus to have this kind of recognition in his day would have required some work. See, remember that the only means that that would have allowed Jesus to, to have been known in this way meant that people had to be talking about him. So let me just ask you, are you telling people about Jesus? Are you telling them that they might live with an expectancy that Jesus is going to show up. Verse 15 says though, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So Jesus shows up back in his hometown and he starts preaching in the synagogues around the city and the people's response to text says that Jesus was being glorified by all. I love how Peterson in the message puts it. He says it like this. He says that he taught in their meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. And I love this because Jesus has this incredible way of flipping things upside down. So Jesus is preaching and everyone at the church tells him how beautiful that message is. And I can assure you that much the same today does that take place especially if what you're preaching is what people want to hear. That's an easy way to, to grow in acclaim and pleasure. But, but verse 16 says that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So Luke is moving from this broader experience in the life and ministry of Jesus to this really specific instance. Luke and his writing is super intentional about the details that he includes. Uh, So Jesus returning to his hometown is really about reflecting upon his humanity. So Jesus, like you and I, has a time and place that he's connected to. He has family and friends in, in the neighborhood that he grew up with. Jesus attended birthday parties with his friends. He he played games with his friends. Jesus is the God-man. The next part of the verse, though, says that Jesus has this customary practice of entering the city and teaching in the synagogues. And I want you to see something that might not be obvious to you. A Presbyterian pastor uh, named Robert Browley explains it like this. He says the rhetorical strategy of Luke and Acts is to empower audiences to enact this story of Jesus and his followers in their life together. In other words, the impending transformation proclaimed in Luke Acts occurs not only within the narrative world of the text, but also in the social world as individuals and communities perform the vision of life set forth. Hence, Luke Acts is not interested in critiquing imperial ideology, but rather in inspiring audiences to adopt life-giving values and practices that are set in contrast to the imperial way of life. So what does this mean? If we're talking about Jesus and Luke or the early church in the book of Acts, there is one thing that's true. 
There is very little emphasis on bringing about empirical change without personal involvement. And so the church has from its inception not just stood on the sidelines and damned the wrongs of the culture, rather it has stood uh, that to bring about the change that we need means that we need to engage ourselves to bear gospel witness that we would see the change that we need. And so if you know that our education system is deeply flawed, let me encourage you to stand in the classrooms and teach or to lead by example from administrative offices. And if you see the deep disparities in healthcare, uh, let me encourage you to mobilize ways to care for those in need. And if you're Jesus and your desire is to transform the hearts and minds of men, reconciling them back to God, you proclaim the good news of the free gift of salvation in the synagogues of his day. So in verse 17 through 21, Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah. He says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is going through this routine. He's, he's not disrupting their practice. Rather, Jesus is using their practice to reveal himself. Isaiah, who writes this about 700 years before Jesus, is giving us what we would describe as one of his servant songs. It seeks to reflect that God is at work to draw men to himself through the one who would come, the true Messiah. Yet this Messiah doesn't come or look much the way that we'd expect. He's described as a suffering servant. And it's through his atoning sacrifice for us that we might have the very wrath of God turned away. Jesus seeks to clearly identify himself in Isaiah's text, revealing himself as the answer to the longings of God's people. He's echoing the hope of God's promises. So let me assure you that whatever it is that God has promised you, he will fulfill his promises. And I don't know how impossible that might seem right now in this season or how it seems like that season might have passed, but the God who has begun a good work in you until the day of Jesus' return will bring it to completion. Uh, Norman Geisler adds that the concept of Messiah, which is the Christ, is the key to the interpretation of the Bible. Not only in that he is the fulfillment of Old Testament types and prophecies, but in that Christ is the tie between the Testaments. The content of the whole canon and the unifying theme of the Bible. In short, the entire Bible is Messiah-centric or Christocentric, which is why we can sing songs like, Beloved Brother and God's Anointed is Appointed. And we shall not be disappointed. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. Look with me, though, at verse 22, because I want you to see this. 
It says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious word that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Notice the change in the way the people were responding. And they asked, um, ain't this Joseph boy? I mean, this is crazy, right? This is like trying to put Jesus in his place. As long as Jesus spoke eloquently and was so super positive, they, they were with it. But as soon as Jesus reveals himself to the Christ directly from the word, the hearts and minds of the people changed. And if I can, let me just help some of you and, and just let you know that no matter what, how much the gospel has changed you, to some people, all you're going to ever be is what you used to be. Just pray for them and keep moving. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So trust his word and move on. I love Jesus' response, though, in verses 23 and 24. He says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And what we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Uh, this is like uh, my friends in the legal profession will tell you, a lawyer who chooses to, vend, to defend himself is a fool for a client. This is the same kind of absurdity. So Jesus tells him, look, I, I already know what you're going to say. And I know you're probably thinking how strange this must be, but the reality is... This is exactly how so many of us respond to Jesus. We're standing around like, okay, God, show us what you got. As if God himself has something to prove to us. Is this who Jesus is to you? Is Jesus really about entertaining you and fulfilling your desires? Or is he the sovereign Lord of all? the creator and sustainer of all things? Is he your greatest joy? Is to be in his presence the, the great delight of your life? Is he alone the fulfillment of, of all you hope and long for? Jesus goes on to respond in telling them that no prophet is acceptable in this hometown. And while he's clearly referencing himself, he's also reminding us of this pattern projected throughout Scripture. In Matthew 21, Jesus tells this parable of the tenants, this story of a guy who owns a vineyard and he rents out uh, his property to some people. And he decides to send some of his servants to, to go and get some of the fruit. And when the servants show up, the tenants, they jack them up, they kill them, and the, the, the owner decides then to, to send his son. These religious dudes who are listening to Jesus teach recognize that Jesus is describing 
he's describing them. And so the text says that they, they just start trying to figure out how to lock Jesus up. In verses 25 through 27, we read, it says, But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Notice that Jesus grounds his response to them by reflecting back to the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And I know for us this might be difficult to connect a little bit, but let me help us. One of the really unique distinctions of the ministry of both Elijah and Elisha is that from the rejection among their own people, the hometown folk, we can see God at work even among the Gentiles. And I don't want to belabor this too long, but this is a reflection of the truth that God has always been compassionate about all people. And Jesus, the embodiment of his saving grace for all of humanity. Finally, then in verses 28 through 30, we see when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So look, fam, these, these same people that were just speaking how glorious Jesus was in verse 22 are the same people mad at him because not only is Jesus not putting on the show that they were looking for, but Jesus is speaking directly to the wickedness of people's hearts. They weren't interested in the redemption to be found in Jesus. No, they just, they just wanted the goods, y'all. The text tells us that, that not only did, did, did they just want Jesus out, but they forced him out of the town to the edge of the cliff. But the text says, passing through their mist, he went away. I want to just close this morning by just asking if anybody knows what it's like to force to the edge only to have Jesus come passing through. I don't know about you, but, but I could just tell you my testimony and say that even in the middle of my mess, on the edge of the cliff of sin, Jesus showed up and passed through the mist. See, it's in this mist that I came to know that Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless life. And yet on the cross, he bore the sins of humanity. And on the cross, Jesus died. He was buried in a grave. And after three days, he was raised in victory, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And the scripture tells us that that's not, uh, that he's now even seated at the right hand of God the Father. And the story continues because Jesus is promised to return for us. Jesus is passing through our midst and 
He makes freely available his salvation for us. And so whatever you need this morning, know that Jesus is passing through. And if it's healing that you need this morning, know that Jesus is passing through. If it is mercy that you need, know that Jesus is passing through. If it's provision that you need, know that Jesus is passing through. And I pray that you would leave this place with a song on your heart. Like I've come through many hard trials, through temptations on every hand. And though Satan's tried to stop me and to place my feet on sinking sand, and though the pain and the sorrows, through the tears, and all my fears, the Lord was there to keep me, for he's kept me in the midst of it all. Not because I've been so faithful and not because I've always obeyed. No, it's not because I've trusted him to be with me all the way, but it is because he loves me so dearly. He was there to answer my calls. He was there always to protect me, for he's kept me in the midst of it all. Let's pray. Father, we are so gracious for your word for us this morning. And for a savior, who so graciously gave of himself for us. to pass through our mess. That we might be reconciled to you. This, this is why we gather. And I pray, God, that we will remember this throughout this week. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.